Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Today we talk about scripts around what words like community mean. We talk about housing, how we've been taught to live together, either in couples or with roommates, traditionally, and what do living arrangements look like for folks who are living off-script, like, for example, triads. We'll talk about relationship orientation, the traditional white picket fence Canadian dream, gender and its impacts on scripts, queerness and its impacts on scripts, and we'll even chat a bit about environmental sustainability. One really interesting topic that we don't touch on in this episode is the impacts of scripts on queerness. What does it look like to get acceptance as a queer, and to what extent do we emulate that white picket fence Canadian dream and standard stereotypes on gender roles and power dynamics? in queer relationships, and the more we emulate heterosexuality, to what extent does that afford us protection, almost a sense of passing? When it comes to non-monogamy, having multiple loving, life-affirming connections with multiple awesome people, we rarely think about environmental sustainability and long-term living arrangements. However, one interesting side benefit is if we are living together with various partners and various non-monogamy community members, be they roommates or people we're in intimate relationships with, there's something about that polyamorous um, cooperative style of living that does lend itself to sustainability. So it's a neat side benefit, and we'll learn more about that with Charisma today on Intimate Interactions. I will welcome everyone to another session of Intimate Interactions. And we can talk more about what we were just talking about, which is that idea of like almost communal living. I just think that's a really going to be a really interesting topic because you were talking about sorting through like all the things we want, mm-hmm. um, and that sort of ties into um, community. And you were talking about not living in a single family dwelling because mm-hmm. there's something like inherently very capitalist about trying to separate people into nuclear families mm-hmm. such that they have to buy one of everything. Like, how often do you use a lawnmower? Mm-hmm. Like. Even if you have a lawn that you need to mow, you probably only mow it once a week, maybe twice. Mm -hmm. And you probably only use it for a couple hours at a time. You could have a community lawnmower and a community tool shed, and you could rent out tools. I'm, of course, talking more about living in a cooperative um, or a cooperative style of living. Mm -hmm. Even with single family detached dwellings, which are really inefficient. 
um, really inefficient. You do not need one yard for each family. You just don't. You can have a community gardens and you can have a park. There are lots of ways for everyone to have a lot more if they just share better. We just have to um, teach a culture of being able to share better. It sounds like I'm talking to a six-year-old right now. You know what, though? That is such a great way to simplify the problem of human entitlement. And, and also, like, the way capitalism squanders resources mm-hmm. needlessly. Like, how In the often, grand scheme of things. How often do we even play on our yards if we're talking about single-family dwellings? We don't really... I don't think we play on them very often. I certainly didn't as a kid. I mean, I did a little bit, but then again, I was also inside playing video games for a lot of summers, so I may not be the best person to ask. The point I'm making, though, is if your kids want a large area to play that is fenced off from traffic, you could pay for a fence and have them play just in your yard, and they will be less socialized, more likely. Or you could have them go to a school park, right? Um, play on a much larger area. And granted, sometimes you want them close to home. I hear what you're saying. Like there, there are reasons not to do this, but the, the point I'm making is you could take up literally half of the land and twice as many people could live in that area, which of course some people will be like, well, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. cool. Well, that's why we have single family detached. However, are you willing to share a lawnmower? Are you willing to share a hedge trimmer? Something that you could, you know, even rent, even renting these things is a better solution. It has like a lower carbon footprint. You're not, you don't have to manufacture one for each home Mm -hmm. Um, so having like a fob system and like a community cooperative where you can literally go in you fob in you fob out the tool you want um, and then you just use your tool you return it you fob it back in like there there are ways of doing these things and if you've got it under video surveillance you're not really worried i don't think Mm -hmm. too much about theft Um, especially if you're not keeping anything too expensive. Anyways, the point I'm making is there are solutions. There Mm -hmm. are solutions we don't look at that, especially with technology, if you can unlock any smart car in the city or any Evo in the city without those getting constantly stolen, why can't we do that with tools? Mm -hmm. You don't even need a fob at that point. You just use your phone. There's like a million solutions that technology has made available for us to be more efficient with our resources. Mm -hmm. But this is also coming from that like, staunch need for efficiency and for things to be done quote unquote right um that does not serve me like in almost any of my life but yet it's so deeply rooted right so deeply ingrained and that's and i have this very similar um almost expectation in a sense because it is such a deep passionate issue for me like environmental issues is huge for me so your need for efficiency ties so well with my need for environmental. I, I guess it is an efficiency thing. Environmental efficiency. It's sustainability, like, which sustainability, is sustainability. Absolutely. Same sort of idea. So. And and if I can look at a system and go, cool. How can we make it demand half as much power? I'm like, that's a wet dream for me. In oh, terms absolutely. Of that's like, like part of my job. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. It's it's crazy too the, the the homeowners grants that are out right now just for FYI for the like zero listeners that I have that actually own their own homes. Um, if you own your own home, I'm sorry that I have excluded you. I I'm only now learning about you as a human being that exists and in the world. We are greatly impressed. <laughs> we are greatly impressed that you own your own property. I certainly do not. And living in the Greater Vancouver area, I have very little hope of putting together the like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for like the starter water closet that I would have that would be 200 to 400 square feet. Even old apartments right now to get like a bachelor suite in the actual Vancouver area in like, you're looking like in the $400,000-ish range. Pretty expensive. Yeah. There just isn't really a starter property anymore. So 
I'm seeing a lot of um, bedrooms available for the price of a single apartment um, wow. in the Vancouver area. When you say bedrooms, you mean rentals? I mean multiple bedroom apartments and people renting their spare rooms for the price of a one-bedroom apartment. Oh, I believe that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. instead of having your own space, you're just paying the same amount just to have a bedroom in somebody else's apartment. Yep, it's it's getting there, like the... The need for housing is incredible in this part of this, mm-hmm. in this part of the world. I think is the best way to put it. Because I mean, you can blame this group or that group or say this practice or that practice is responsible. But ultimately, what it comes down to is the need for housing is here. Mm-hmm. If if we're going to be capitalist about it, then we can say, okay, the market will bear this price. Meaning, we just need a lot more houses, which is not going to happen. Because why would you build something to drop the price of the thing you're making? Like, if anything, people just want price to plateau so they can continue to make what they're making on it. But. Mm-hmm. I don't think the motivation is there, personally, to build tons and tons and tons. But, I mean, also, it seems like every construction firm in the city is fucking going full tilt to build housing. So it's like yeah, where there is zoning, if they will build but it. But they're catering to the wrong demographics. That's how I feel, too. I feel like a lot of very upscale places are being built yes. when, like, we could really stand We need to more build. affordable housing. Yeah. We need more housing that is targeted to people who need it, not yeah. who need a luxury condo. I think that land is just so expensive now that it's like, well, you know, we could sell a dumpy place for like 250 or we could sell a, an upscale place that has hardwood floors and marble countertops for 290 mm-hmm. It's like, what's the extra 40000 to us? It's like we could sell something luxury and it'll just like sell immediately or we could produce something that's lower scale. But like the land's still so expensive, it almost doesn't make sense. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy then because you're locked into this into this cycle of only building super upscale ritzy places. So that's kind of frustrating for me. But also Mm -hmm. I got so I digressed so hard there. I got so distracted. Could you help put me back on topic? What exactly were we even talking about before we got rant, before I got ranting about housing prices? That is a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've just jumped on this tangent. That's okay. Um, um, housing and like trying to manage stuff. We were talking about environmentalism. We were talking about efficiency and my needs mm-hmm. for efficiency. Um, and sustainability. And sustainability, right. That is exactly what we're talking about. Nice work. Um... So speaking of all of that, I would like to talk a little bit about, we also talked a little bit about relationship anarchy. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to talk a little more about sexual and romantic orientations and like identities and stuff. Do you want to chat a little bit about it? Like how you identify in terms of like sexual and romantic preferences? Sure. So You, you can just say people. <laughs> it's a val- <laughs> it is a valid answer. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I would definitely be into talking about this a bit. So for me, um, just sexual identity and sexual orientation and the way that I've viewed relationships and carried out relationships has changed so much over the years. Um, so, I mean, I grew up mostly around like my parents and other family dynamics that seemed very traditional, um, very normative, um, the portrayal that society has given us of man and wife and kids and, you know as I've said before, um, this very traditional look and feel of what a family should look like, I guess. And I can't even say that my family was very normal. Just, I guess it is normal these days with divorce and such. Um, it is actually very common. Um, my parents did divorce when I was very young. So, um, 
so yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely had a lot of these images of what a relationship and what sex and, um, and things like this should look like. And I finally gone to a place now where I've done a lot of, you know, diving in and, uh, self-exploration and, and I've delved into different communities and, you know, I found the kink community and I honestly, when I found that community, I found like, I felt that I had found my people. Like it was very satisfying and, um, and welcoming and, um, and with sexual orientation and expression, um, I always knew that I wasn't just straight or normal or I didn't want to fit into this space that was given to me by the world, you know? Like, I don't know. I feel like there was an expectation that I should be a certain way or um, that I needed to be a certain way to be accepted by society. Um, And now I've definitely gone away from that and been able to express myself in a way that makes me feel more comfortable and more true to myself. And, um, and it wasn't easy to get to this point, but I definitely identify as queer. Um, I, I know that I've not only been interested in one sex or the other, or a man or a woman or, you know, specifics like that. Um, I've always been very open-minded when it comes to um, the experiences that I want to have, both romantically and sexually. Um, I've always been intrigued by non-traditional structures. Um, And then, as I was saying, when I found the King community, I think that was the first time in my life that I started exploring non-traditional relationships. And... um, and my first experience into non-monogamy and polyamory. And um, and I think that that was really important for me to, to find um, that community and the people that kind of helped me along to show me more of who I am as a person and what really intrigues me and what I enjoy. So um, I do identify as she, her, but I've also have always had strong ties to my masculine side as well. Um, growing up, I was, I don't know, I guess I was a bit of a tomboy. Um, and, you know, I didn't really see myself as super girly or wanting to do girly stuff all the time. Um, I definitely started working different jobs that were more masculine um, and I enjoy that, but, um, yeah, I don't know, as far as romance goes, um, most of my experience has been, like I said, very normative, um, I've been mostly in monogamous relationships, because they're easier to come by, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, and, and I've never felt satisfied. I've never felt like it fit for me. I felt like it was very temporary. Um, it was more beneficial to my partner 
than to me and I just kind of um I just kind of lived with that sacrifice for a long long time Mm -hmm. and then so when I started delving into the um non-monogamy and polyamorous community um I finally felt like I was speaking my truth in a sense um and that this kind of relationship dynamic worked for me. Um, so I, I did get into a triad relationship um, mm-hmm. for a brief time. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt like it was a great experience for me um, in my self-exploration and self-identity and, um, and also just... Um, to have that experience of non-monogamy and non-traditional relationship dynamics was so, so important and such a huge turning point in my life. Um, I was able to learn about and understand actually uh, compersion and being truly happy for my partner's happiness, not only from the happiness that I gave them or that was received through our relationship, but from other outside relationships as well and I think that Mm -hmm. that's such an important thing for me to always keep in mind when I am um in any relationship I think is I don't personally believe that I can meet one person's needs and I Mm -hmm. don't think it's fair for somebody to expect the same of me to meet all of their needs because I just can't um Mm -hmm. there's certain things that I don't want to do there's certain things I don't feel comfortable with Um, I have my own boundaries. They have their own boundaries. I just, I've never believed that one person could possibly fill somebody's, all their needs. Um, And and for those that do believe that, I mean, I am not saying it's wrong and I fully support that. Whatever works for you works for you. It's just, it's not been my truth. I, I would agree with that sentiment. There's something maybe about having depression and anxiety that's just like, I can barely take care of myself. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to meet all of these persons' expectations and needs? It is less stressful and so much happier for me to be like, please go and fuck this other person or yeah. go on a date with this other person because today I'm going to watch Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to be super fucking depressed. Um, but tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow we can go on that date. We've had a plan for a while and I'm like, I need this so that I, I can position myself in the right headspace to show up for you tomorrow. Totally. But if you want to go and, and have a great dinner date and fuck someone, I'm not the person for you tonight. So find a person, <laughs> pick a person, any person, hopefully a good person. And yeah, and you know what? It was, it was such a different experience to be able to be in a relationship with somebody and be able to talk about our separate relationships. Mm. Um, and just, I don't know, like everyone that I've ever dated has kind of been more on the jealous side and insecure side of things. I, resonate I feel with that. like we, we all have our own insecurities and, and our issues and our traumas that we're working through. And, um, and I've never really been a jealous person. I've very much, I'm totally into sharing and no one I've ever dated has been into sharing. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's so weird for me because I just don't understand. I find sharing so hot. Like yeah. the idea of sharing my partner is like, yeah, you go and give her tons of orgasms or like, yeah, you go and jack him off. Sure. Yeah. I, I, you know, like that person, they will tell me about it later and it will be hot for us then. If 
that's something that's consensual for all people. So yeah, like, totally. I mean, every dynamic's loud, different too. I mean, I know a lot of poly people um, or people just in non-monogamous situations yeah. where they don't want to hear about their other partners or sure. their other partners happenings or any or, of the details or their other partners don't want them to share those details which is totally yeah cool. and so that's like, again goes back to consent right yeah so. so i'm not like insistent on i want to do this thing it's more just a question of like i would be totally comfortable with my partner sharing our exploits with one of my metamors and i would be totally comfortable hearing about my metamors exploits mm-hmm. with that partner and the friendships that I develop with my metamors are valuable and valid friendships. Like I, I cherish them when I have had them. Mm-hmm. There have been some cases where that was not true. I have not had all perfect metamorships. I'm not trying to make non-monogamy sound like my experience has been without problems because mm-hmm. it has not. Um, however, despite dating a lot of folks that have struggled a lot with jealousy um, and dating a lot of new people to non-monogamy, hmm, I wonder if there's a co-relationship. <laughs> um, you know, there's, aside from that, um, I've had some great metamors. And in fact, my very first metamor was an excellent metamor. And I am eternally grateful for the role demonstration and modeling that sort of happened there. Mm-hmm. It was like that first relationship that I was invited in like a unicorn was so empowering for me. It was like, oh yeah, like I, I love watching you with my partner and like being able to to give her all this pleasure when I'm like experiencing this or that or like when I'm right there with you. Um, and like we did sessions together, all three of us, and it was just like, it was it was great. I had mm-hmm. a great time and I had camaraderie. Um, it just, it felt like being part of that relationship. If not, if not, I, I won't say indefinitely because like I don't think it was a triadic sort of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um but when we came together to have threesomes, like that was typically how we related. Mm-hmm. I would see each of them individually um, and we would get together and have a threesome as like a fairly regular thing. Mm-hmm. So I guess in some ways that was almost a triad. Interesting. I mean, I've I never mean, conceptualized like that. I've always thought of it more as being a unicorn, but like, I guess in some ways it kind of is. I think there ish. are there are certain crossover mm-hmm. and there are like like every relationship can be have different dynamics even in a similar or same structure i think i cared a great deal about the mask presenting human in that relationship and and yeah in a lot of ways we didn't have like conventional sex so like we didn't do penetration with each other ever I don't know. I don't know if other people would necessarily... Anyways, it doesn't matter what other people think. The point being... <laughs> well, I think triadic relationships can also be non-sexual or... I think so, too. Strictly romantic or strictly sexual as well. Like, sure. I think that sure. you have that freedom to really, like, avoid a label and kind of define your relationship as you would like. Yeah. And I've kind of found that freedom in the last few years to be extremely liberating and speak to me. Yeah. And my needs. It was just such a great first experience with non-monogamy. Like to be invited Mm -hmm. in that way into that relationship, into that loving, considerate relationship, which is um, interestingly no longer a thing. Um, But also everyone's friends with everyone. Mm -hmm. I, again, it comes back to that, like, this is the moment where all these things are working. And when this person gets a new job or gets a certain partner or has certain needs around having a child, these things are going to shift. And before they shift, I want to enjoy the fuck out of this. Mm -hmm. Like it's that kind of approach to like 
this is a really good thing. Mm -hmm. Like this current configuration, whether it's a triad or something else or a quad or whatever, like the constellation of humans Mm -hmm. that is all enjoying each other in this consensual, loving way. Fucking own it, do it, enjoy it. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Revel in it. Yeah, absolutely. Revel in it in a considerate, loving, hedonistic way. Totally. But like... Oh, it is just such a good experience. And I can't, if it's something you're interested in, person who is listening, I cannot wait for you to start accessing the tools and skills you need, the communication that you need to make it a thing and actually Mm -hmm. have it be functional and work for you in a way that serves you and your partners. Mm -hmm. And it's possible. Lots of people do it. Maybe not, maybe not a majority of people, but more people than you probably think are Mm -hmm. successful with it have done it. And yeah. So tell me more about triadic configurations for you because i know all about me but i'm super curious to hear about you um well i kind of talked a bit about that first triadic kind of um that cat wants to be in a triad so badly that cat is like let me end a podcast (laughs) um yeah i mean the triad i was in in kind of my exploratory um period there it was it was a good experience. Um, I mean, it was dissolved, and it was not. It was somewhat short lived, but it was not any less educational. Mm, mm-hmm. um, you can pack a lot and into, impactful. Yeah, you can pack a lot of stuff to unpack later into a very short time period. Well, I think like. As you were kind of saying with your first experience and how great it was, I think that first experiences like that are somewhat like first impressions and can Mm -hmm. be very impactful Mm -hmm. with how you view the community and the people in those communities. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, I can say from my personal experience that that triad was my introductory to non-monogamy and I don't regret anything about it. That's great. And, um, and I'm friends with both of the people that were involved and I, and I still care about those people and I still wish them the best and want to see them succeed in life. And, and I always have, like, I've always, with all my partners and my friends, like I'm a very loyal person and I want to be supportive and be there for my friends and my partners. And I want to lift them up and, you know, when I can't lift myself up because my brain, (laughs) um, but yeah, yeah, it, it was a good experience and it was, it was a good introduction for me. And I think I'm very grateful for those people um, and their contributions to Mm. my experience. And, Mm. um, and I I don't know, I'm not currently really, I'm not sure what to consider my current situation. Um, My romantic life has definitely gotten quite complicated. (laughs) And um, complicated can be fun. It can be fun. But is this fun complicated or is it not This fun? is not the, the fun <laughs> variety. It's kind of more confusing and gray area. Okay. So I'm kind of, I'm, Conversations? I'm kind of at a turning point okay. in, um, in my relationship that I've been in for the last few years. Going to make some years, decisions, so. have some conversations. Oh, conversations have definitely been had. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of in the, in the um, change, making changes. Mm-hmm. aspect of it and mm-hmm. and doing things differently and mm-hmm. 
and taking care of me and my needs and not so much caretaking my partner as much and um and less sacrificing because I feel like I've honestly sacrificed a lot mm-hmm. for this one person in particular and I don't feel like it's been a mutual sacrifice. Oof. Um and so I'm just ready to kind of get back to what I want to do and what makes me happy and what speaks to me um, and what works for me. Mm-hmm. We can chat briefly about like patterns and stuff, but I'm, I'm still thinking about triads and I'm curious um, whether or not your triad was polyfidelitous or not, or whether it was an open triad. And if you want to talk about the difference or do you, do you not know what the difference is? Um, it was, it was open. Okay. It was completely open. Um, polyfidelitous is just a fancy word for closed. Yeah, no, it was definitely open. Um, We all had our own interests and partners um, if we wanted. So Um, there was it was never a closed unit. Um, And I was kind of grateful for that because I was just getting out of a relationship, a long term relationship that was very monogamous and very heteronormative and and all the things that kind of don't speak to me and my personality and my orientation. Mm -hmm. So, um yeah, I was kind of ready to try something different. And so I'm glad that that was different and it wasn't closed because it might have been a different experience and a different impression for me if Definitely. it had been. So, yeah. And it helped me hearing about hearing about um, my partner's interactions with their other partners. Um, it definitely helped solidify you, you the fact in. that I want to be Polly and the fact that I am Polly. Yeah, I was going to say you jumped in right at the deep end. Like yeah. you did all of the things all at once right at the beginning. Oh yeah, I totally did. And in a lot of ways you crushed it, which is not the common outcome. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You I did a really good job. Like I, I really think, enjoyed it. Yeah. And I really do enjoy it. And it's something that I've kind of put on the back burner for the last few years because of this primary relationship that I've um been in for the last few years. But Oh hierarchy. <sighs> It's not yeah. a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, but it's not right for me personally, which is why I'm like, oh, that hierarchy. Yeah, no, and I, I feel that it's so hard, and I'm just so not, I'm just, I need di- something different, and I need to do things that speak to me, and... Boundary setting, it's yeah, hard. Yeah, boundary very setting hard. is very hard sometimes. Especially when it's social exclusion, especially when it's rejection of partners and intimate The fear, people. the fear yeah. is debilitating at times. Yeah, yeah, spoken like a person that has anxiety. Like, mm-hmm. this is just part of what it means. Yeah. But the good thing is you can learn different behaviors and make different habits. It's just really hard. Absolutely, and you yeah. can medicate for the part of it that is brains and chemicals. Mm-hmm. So there are solutions. There's medications. There's, like, all kinds of group programs, like the ones I'm in. And, of course, there's regular counseling, which I'm... Are you doing regular counseling right now? Like, one, uh, one, I'm one, not one? currently. Okay. Unless you count my friends as counselors, <laughs> um, I've been. I've, I've been. You know what? Friends. I've done. I've done some extensive counseling in the past, and mm-hmm. I've done a lot of. I mean, I've done twelve step. I've done uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and I think that's that specifically could help anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's my experience with the cognitive behavioral therapy specifically, and like the smart meetings and what they have to offer in that respect is just how to cope with daily stresses and how to live life and just be a normally functioning human being. Which is more complicated than it sounds. Oh, yeah. 
Totally. I, th- I think most people who, who consider themselves functional could probably function a lot better. Mm-hmm. And most people who function very highly may or may not understand how much goes into that. Mm-hmm. But when you're not a super functional person like myself and you look at all of the things happening and, and a lot of folks who are depressed are like, what are you talking about, Victor? You're super functional. And I'm like, at what cost? Like when I'm functional, I don't check my phone. I need to self-care afterwards. I like have to plan for it. I just mm-hmm. like all of my focus and attention goes into it. And like, yeah, I again don't want to like mischaracterize myself as someone with ADHD. Although I suppose I did get a formal diagnosis when I was younger um, and I was medicated for it. And the medication did help, but I, I really struggle tracking multiple things like really hard. I get so distracted so easily. And when I'm tired, it's exacerbated, which is why I've been like, super I've been really intensely trying to focus so that I can just like hyper focus my way through staying on topic and it's like (laughs) so hard it can be yeah it doesn't have to be when I'm better rested and when I'm like when I've eaten more protein or fat rich stuff instead of like lots of sugars which is mostly what I've had today (laughs) Um, other than eggs for breakfast which was like yeah win go me coffee and eggs good breakfast lunch what lunch McDonald's fries, right. I had McDonald's fries and then tea. (laughs) Maybe not the best life choices. However, we're here now. We're here now. And we're all human. (laughs) And we're all human. We're going to be fallible and make those choices that maybe don't serve us, but that are really, I mean, God, I really like McDonald's French fries. I know. It's, it's, I've always liked McDonald's French fries. Having IBS, there's almost nothing I can eat. Like it's like with, especially low FODMAP dieting, it's like, what do I eat out when mm-hmm. I'm out? And ha, there's a lot of jokes I can make there. When I am out of my house and I'm trying to find <laughs> food to eat, f- like for nutrition, <laughs> there is very little option. And like French fries are one of those things that's like dairy-free. And and we in this case, I think they're wheat. Oh, shit. Are they wheat-free? Oh, I feel like I need to. I need to re- now I'm like, I need to research this. My one food may actually turn out to not be a food that I can eat at all. It seems like they don't in any way trigger symptoms. So mm-hmm. even if they're not wheat-free, I'm, I tested negative for celiacs. I can probably have the amount of wheat that is on French fries so long as I don't eat any other sources of wheat. Mm-hmm. So they're just free of all the things I can't have. Fructose. Can't do fructose. People are like, can't you take fruit with you? I'm like, not really. Maybe an orange. Maybe strawberries and they're in season. Maybe grapes if I can afford them. But, like, not really. Fruits are hard. Mm-hmm. Oh, I could go on and on and on about chronic illness. But we're talking about triads, which is a way more fun topic to talk about. So. <laughs> I'm always, like, interested to talk about group sex and, and triads because they're just, like, there is something about that experience that speaks to who I want to be mm-hmm. in non-monogamy as a community-oriented, like, big old slut i don't know how else to say it there is something about being around sluts and being a slut that just like is wholesome and satisfying so satisfying and and i feel like when the people around me are like properly fucked out they're happier more satisfied humans and like community just works mm-hmm. like it just seems and people to are better. happier like i yeah. don't know it's like if you're having sex regularly and you're getting your needs met regularly, you're going to be a lot happier than if you're not getting oh, your needs met. Easier to get along with, fewer fewer issues with yeah. like domestic stuff. Like, like when I don't get my sexual needs met on a regular basis, I am very short-tempered. I get angry very easily. Like I start feeling like I'm crazy. And mm-hmm. I think that that's normal. Yeah, that there is like this 
urgent insistence towards this drive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to say normal because there are obviously going to be people with lower sex drives and of people course. with that are asexual altogether. Normal for me. But absolutely normal for you and totally like fine. Like there's nothing wrong with having a really intense sex drive or mm-hmm. a, a regular intense sex drive because there are lots of folks that have a lot of intensity in their sex drives. And I think it's important to note how malleable our sex drives are. I mean, there is always going to be testosterone's call, don't get me wrong. Um, and a lot of us have testosterone in different amounts. However, by choosing how much we masturbate and what content we expose ourselves to, we do have some influence in sculpting mm-hmm. our sexuality. That's one of the things that people that like, especially um, partnership and couples therapists and especially like sex therapists will say is like, if you're really struggling with sex with your partners, like when was the last time you masturbated? Like when was the last time you felt connected to your sense of sexuality? And then like asking all the questions around why or why not or how or like what type of content or like Mm -hmm. what are you thinking about what sorts of thoughts are arousing like that's typically the realm of exploration when you're talking about that so anyways what was i talking about realm of i I got talking about sex and i was like yes talking about all the sex things um sexual exploration and partner's therapy non-traditional relationship yes wholesome that's right that's where we were we were at wholesome um (laughs) only wholesome content here only wholesome content, like being a big old slut. I just love it. Yeah. I love it. We love all the sluts here. We do. If you're if you're a sluts out there, we love you. Thank you for being you. Yes. Keep being awesome. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it's, so it's interesting on the topic of like um of like STI stigma and stuff, because like the people that tend to be totally cool with STI stigma are either the people that have done lots of research or the people that have done no research. Mm-hmm. It just feels like there's no in the middle. Like yeah. people that have some knowledge of it but don't haven't done like lots of research are like, oh my goodness, it's so scary. That those are the ones for sure that are typically like, oh, I don't want anything to do with that because they've typically only delved into or heard negative things about it. Mm-hmm. Like they haven't done their research. They've only heard what the scary media Worst or case scenario other friends have said or jokes that have been made. Sure. Super rare, like, instances that get public publicized because mm-hmm. they're just, like, extreme symptomatic versions. And people will grab onto stuff like that. Yeah. And then they'll make an assumption or a judgment based off of what somebody else has said or some mis- misinformation that's been shared. Yep. Yep. When people, are, um, when people are talking about things like gonorrhea and chlamydia, I'm like, you can basically think of it as like a cock flu or a cunt flu. Totally. Or a genital flu if like you don't identify as nine out of ten people have had one or both. <laughs> really? So, I didn't know that. I mean, I hate to say that that's, that's an unofficial statistic, so let's okay. just scratch that from the record. But okay, that's fine. I want to say that nine out of ten people have. Lots of people have definitely it's, had it. Because yeah. it's so common, and most people aren't going to admit that they've had it, even sure. though it is something that is so common and I've had HPV, easily cured but i've never had gonorrhea or chlamydia and i have oral cold sores so mm-hmm. technically i have hsv mm-hmm. never tested positive for hiv and i can't think i've never tested positive for syphilis or hep c <coughs> excuse me bless you i'm like thinking about illness and like your body's not, like, ah. Yeah, my body's like, you didn't sleep. You're gonna get sick. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, it's interesting how that, like, knowledge is, like, 
just that that notion that people either have done like tons of research and are like, oh yeah, it's not that scary, or they've done like absolutely no research and they're like, I don't care. And then in the because middle, because what doesn't, what you don't know, can't scare you, right? And if you're, and there are exceptions. If you have an invisible illness, you're immunocompromised, like any of any of that area, I get it. Like some people, you know, your partner gets a flu and you're like, I can't go around you. It could literally kill me. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that's true for literally everyone, but some people have a greater risk than others. And I like. I will go around a partner with a flu because I'm not immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's lots of flavors and shades of immunability um, that may not even technically qualify as immunocompromised. Or maybe a person is um, a hypochondriac, which is a very legitimate thing and is going to have tons of anxiety if mm-hmm. they're around someone that has a specific STI and they're having sex with them. And it's like, yeah, if it's anxiety inducing for a person okay, like that's a thing. That's a reasonable thing to deal with. There's no shame around that. And also (laughs) examining like where that anxiety comes from Mm -hmm. may help dispel some of it or maybe it won't. It's really just a question for like what effort are you willing to put in and like it comes back to putting it right on your profile, being like, Mm -hmm. I have this thing. If it's a problem for you, no judgment. Exactly. I just never want to hear from you. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, I mean. Probably. Those are some valid points. And that's how I feel about HPV anyways. It's mm-hmm. like, cool, I had an HPV outbreak once. It was a painless treatment to get rid of it. Total treatment took two weeks. I went in for one treatment once from a physician and it was gone within two weeks. No medication. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this was ludicrously easy. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, again, not every treatment's going to be like that. Um, but like... How is there this much stigma around something that simple to get rid of? And granted, yes, it's a virus. Yes, I can be asymptomatically shedding virions. Mm -hmm. Yes, you could catch HPV from me. Also, Gardasil. Not necessarily the best solution, but it's a solution. I went and got vaccinated, even Mm -hmm. though the recommendations are basically like, if you've had HPV, you probably don't need to get vaccinated. I'm like, yeah, but if you haven't had HPV, you probably don't need to get vaccinated. The point is... And there's so many different types that's too. The point, there's yes. so many different types. Yes. You might have what, had one strain, but there's another 30, 40, 50 other Easy. strains. There's like probably, I think there's over a hundred now, but talking mm-hmm. specifically about the really problematic ones that'll cause like cancer, the cancer causing lesions, yeah. warts, you're talking like, yeah, I think it's, I don't I actually, to be truthful, I haven't looked up the exact number, but I, it's not a hundred. Like mm-hmm. a lot of them don't cause those symptoms. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are like viruses you'll get that you'll be pretty asymptomatic for. In fact, even the ones that can cause cancer and warts, you're often, often asymptomatic for when you get. And HSV is the same. Right. HSV is very much the same. And I think that a lot of people do carry the virus and don't know. Yep. Because definitely. they never show symptoms. So they just right. think they don't have it. They got it in And they can once. be potentially putting other people at risk, but not knowing. Absolutely. They can be shedding virions asymptomatically. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of having a full outbreak, maybe they have a very strong immune system. So they just shed virions asymptomatically, but the tissue never develops a, a typical lesion. Mm-hmm. So maybe they get itching or tickling on like the outside of their mouth every once in a while when they get sick. Maybe it starts getting a tiny bit waxy and then goes away. And they never put that together and consider themselves, oh, that's that's her. Or maybe you just think it's an ingrown hair sure. or whatever the case may be. Absolutely. There's just so many ways mm-hmm. for that to be processed or be understood. And the point is that it's it's really not as big a deal as society makes it out to be. I don't want to say mm-hmm. it's not a big deal at all because for people that are immunocompromised and for specific people, I and guess. And honestly, but... personal preference too. Yeah. Like if somebody... 
if you are a healthy person sure and you're pretty easy going with most things and you just prefer not to put yourself at risk i can totally respect that mm-hmm. like what can i possibly do to argue that and that's exactly right? how i feel about hpv it's like i'm not saying people should want to do this that's not mm-hmm. what i'm saying at all I'm saying the reasons people cite for not wanting to are very rarely, it's a, it's it's a very small risk. It's usually misinformation. Yes. It's very rarely people going, it's a tiny risk and I don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, cool, that's reasonable. But people will typically be like, it's a huge risk and I don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's not a problem that people don't feel like it. I just would prefer if they chose for reasons not based in like, speculation puritan (laughs) propaganda is what it is yeah it's the sex education our parents got Mm -hmm. and that like some of us still got in career and personal planning i was exposed to tons of images of like like wow like that that sexual um infection was not treated if you had a lesion on your arm or your face and you didn't get it treated for months or years because you were so ashamed of it you just covered it up and then eventually you went to your doctor because you were in excruciating pain. You had tons of lesions or like lots of symptoms and they took pictures of you and put you in a textbook as like, this is what's going to happen if you cut yourself and get an infection or like, this is what's going to, you know, like people would be terrified to do anything. Mm-hmm. Like so much of it is fear-based propaganda mm-hmm. meant to stop people having sex. So in that sense, I have a chip on my shoulder about it. But in the sense that like, I don't think anyone should ever necessarily choose anything outside their risk profile period like Mm -hmm. i'm such a staunchly consent-minded human Mm -hmm. and such a staunchly like self-determination and autonomy-minded human that's why i'm a relationship anarchist that like yes that's not my position at all so thank you so much for picking that and like catching that because like my words can be understood that way for sure and that's Mm -hmm. not what i intend when i'm speaking them because there can be very valid reasons for Mm -hmm. people not wanting to do that like the immuno you know sure deficient or whatever or just having like certain types of syndromes there are like certain specific totally um, like you might be more at risk than somebody else and i can totally understand that but if it just comes down to no you just don't want to it's just like any no no is no you don't have to justify it you do not have you don't need to have a reason you don't need to have a health reason and your reason for a no doesn't have to be logical so even if it is based on misinformation that is your no and you absolutely get to have that no And honestly, I've finally gotten to the point now where instead of stewing on that no and wondering why I got a no, it's like, okay, moving on. Like, thank you for telling me that, you know, yes or no. And then... Thank you for taking care of yourself. And now I'm going to take care of myself. Thank you for being honest. And yeah. Yeah. I'm happy that you've trusted me with your boundary. And moving forward, I'm going to find someone who has a different boundary because yeah, I, mean, I still want to do the thing. I just doesn't have to be with you. You know, what's funny is I just, I recently had an interesting experience going up to Whistler for a few days. Um, a couple of my close friends took me to Whistler for my birthday. And there was this guy that I met in school that I was like really interested in. And I'd been kind of like fantasizing about for a long time. Hot. And I kind of had expectations about what would happen in Whistler with this person. Oh, interesting. And and it's funny because he's like super monogamous and super traditional, like every other person that I've dated. Got you. And so he told me that he waited till we were in Whistler to tell me that he was like starting to see somebody or whatever. So he was unavailable. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, Ugh. thanks for telling me now. Like I've literally been building up to this vacation for weeks, like thinking about what could happen and all this stuff. And, 
And it's funny because as soon as that happened, I bumped into somebody I hadn't seen in a few years who happened to be available. And I was like, okay, like... I'm down if you're, you're down, down. I'm down. We were totally open and honest about things. And so yeah, it was really, it was a good experience. And it was a perfect example of, there's a lot of people that may say no or may not be interested or willing to take that risk but there's a lot of people that are willing to take that risk and yeah. willing to you know look past the connotation or the stigma yeah you will find sex partners you will date it's not it's not the apocalypse that it is billed as mm-hmm. yeah awesome and on that note i think we kind of tackled a lot of the like we talked about like community stuff, relationship anarchy stuff, environmentalism. We talked about relationship orientations, traditional Canadian dream white picket fancy stuff. We talked about gender and queerness, and we circled back and talked about destigmatizing SDIs. Yes, because it's very important. That is like done. The day is the day is amazing and and done, and we can we can kick off and I don't know. I, I was <laughs> I was about to say. I am like at that point of like Netflix and just like drinking a glass of wine and holding a squishmallow. <laughs> just about there. How are you feeling? Yeah, that sounds nice. <laughs> awesome. Um, thank you so much for being on another episode of Intimate Interactions. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. So how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard? Or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon, where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.